Hello, music enthusiasts. Welcome to Sound Encounters, a music podcast where I explore new and classic releases, different genres, and your favorite artists and bands. I am your host, Cesar Torres. Thank you for joining me today. It's a special week of Sound Encounters because it's it's the spookiest week of the year. It's the last week of October, which means we're going to be celebrating the spookiest day of the year. That's right. Halloween. And I know uh, this this holiday means a lot to a lot of people and uh, it, it'll be really exciting to see um, how people um, celebrate it music wise because there is a lot of Halloween music out there. And last year I remember wanting to listen to a Halloween playlist but not actually make one myself. <laughs> um, so I ended up looking through Spotify to see if anyone has made any uh, decent Halloween playlists. And I ended up coming across a playlist made by Riot Fest, which is a music festival in Chicago, Illinois. And since their love for Halloween extended onto social media, they were just like, oh, here's a playlist we made. And I ended up listening to that playlist, although not much stuck with me on that playlist. And I think I ended up deleting it from my playlist library because I was just like, oh, I'm only going to listen to this once, one time per year. So uh, it's not worth it. But I do remember like really liking that Halloween song by Misfits, which I'm pretty sure it was called Halloween. And that's really the only one that stuck with me. A lot of the times, you know, whenever I talk to friends who love Halloween and we talk about Halloween music, that classic Nightmare Before Christmas song, This Is Halloween, comes up. Then eventually that covered by, I'm pretty sure, Panic at the Disco, which I've heard before and I do not like to listen to. So... So I tell them, let's let's stick to the classic instead and not focus too much on, on the cover. But anyway, I am curious uh, to see if you like to celebrate Halloween by putting on a Halloween playlist that either you created yourself or you found on the internet. Maybe you also listen to the Riot Fest playlist that I mentioned earlier. So by the time this episode comes out, I will put a little thread on Twitter asking to share some Halloween playlists so if you don't want to miss out on that, make sure to follow Sound Encounters on Twitter at Sound Encounters. And, you know, while you're at it, you could follow the Sound Encounters Instagram page again at Sound Encounters. You know, why not? I post some real nice pictures on that Sound Encounters page. And I started doing this new thing called Hashtag Album of the Day, where I post album covers and kind of give a little description about them and, and talk about them and my feelings about them, of course. And so far, I'm pretty sure I put Desert Shore by Nico and Meriwether Post Pavilion by Animal Collective. And, you know, I also post them on Twitter, but, you know, Instagram is the picture social media page. So, you know, might as well follow that, too. But getting back to the topic of Halloween playlists, I don't really uh, listen to any other Halloween playlist except for that one Riot Fest playlist that I mentioned. Instead, I've opted to playing an album, an album that I actually discovered around this time last year. And that album is Bad Moon Rising by Sonic Youth. I'm pretty sure this is like the third Sonic Youth album that I've heard. And it, it was kind of jarring to me because I didn't understand what I was listening to. And by that, I mean, I didn't know that it was a no wave album. It sounded a lot like, you know, previous Sonic Youth albums that I've listened to and were familiar with. But this one just had this, I don't know what to call it, anxiety inducing, like kind of like, ter like terrifying vibe to it. It was kind of my first exposure to no wave. 
and after I listened to other no wave artists and bands and got familiar with the genre, I came back to Bad Moon Rising and I was just like, oh my goodness, this is a brilliant album. And if you listen to the version of the album with bonus tracks, there's actually a song called Halloween that you could listen to that I thought is, or that I think is pretty good. But yeah, there's the Sonic Youth, early Sonic Youth, just did a fantastic job of, of pulling off this menacing vibe to them, kind of creepy, especially with Thurston Moore's uh, vocals on I Love Her All the Time. But I absolutely love it. And I think it's going to be my go-to Halloween album every year because that is such a that is such a fantastic album. What are your thoughts on this album? Would you suggest any other Halloween album? I guess not Halloween album, but kind of scary, an album that gives that scary, creepy vibe, kind of like Bad Moon Rising. Let me know. Again, Twitter and Instagram, but also you can send me a voice message on anchor.fm. The link to where you need to go is in the podcast description. Give that link a click and send me a voice message and you might be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. How about that? Again, Twitter, Instagram, and anchor.fm link in podcast description. And speaking of No Wave, I've got a great show for you today coming up. I'm going to continue the conversation I had that I started last week with New Wave and talk about No Wave this week. But first, as always, we got to talk about this past week in music. This was actually a fantastic past week in music because we got a number of albums that came out and just filled my my sweet little ear holes with joy, <laughs> if, if I can put it that way. Uh, but before we get to the LPs, of course, I listened to two new singles. First, I heard Faith Healer by Julian Baker. She really bumped up the production uh, on this one from her last project. You know, her last project, Turn Out the Lights, uh, was very low-key, very stripped down, very somber. This time, this song has a bit more energy in this one, although the lyrics have a darker tone to them, kind of typical with Julian Baker's music so far. I am a big fan of Julian's vocals. I think she does a tremendous job on this song. But I do think the instrumental is a bit cut and paste from other contemporary singer-songwriter songs. It's just not that impressive. So I, I feel like we are left with a very average track. You know, it's not horrible, but it's also not great. Next, I heard Automation by King Gizzard. This is a song from their upcoming KG record, the fourth single that they've dropped for this record so far. And uh, I thought this was another middle-of-the-road track as the main riff on this song sounds a lot like something they've done before. They clearly have a distinct psychedelic desert-y sound to them, so much so that it's easily easy to identify a King Giz track, but this sounds like they did a, a better version of this track in the past. And usually when I feel this way about a track, about an album, I don't particularly hate it, but it, I, I find it hard to say that I enjoyed it because I can go back, listen to previous work in a discography or... Uh, a previous album and say yes this is this is they did this song but this is when they did it better so automation is another average track from this week those are the two singles i heard this week so let's get into the lps the first one i heard this week or i should say the first two i heard this week were adrian lanker's songs and instrumentals so adrian from big thief fame released uh, two albums 
some might even consider it a double album, but she released two albums around the same day. I think she released one late Thursday and then the other one dropped midnight on Friday, but I was eager to hear both of them nonetheless. Let's talk about songs first, because that's the first one that I heard. Judging from the singles, I kind of knew that this was going to be a bittersweet, heartbreaking album, as a lot of the lyrics on the singles uh, talk about a need for a person picturing what this person, specifically a he, you know, looks like. We have lyrics that mention his eyes are blueberries, their video screens. One of my favorite lyrics has to be, you are as far from me as memory with fixtures, fracture varyingly. That's from the second track, Ingidar. I love the metaphors and the specific descriptions because it gives this project this sensuality that defies Big Thief and Linker's music. It's the reason why I was enthralled by the initial single, Anything. Lyrically, Anything is such a physical song describing mundane activities like going to the grocery store or exploring the woods, as well as intimate moments like kissing or crying on someone's lap. This is accompanied by repetitive and hypnotic guitar playing. There's a layering of guitar melodies and sometimes vocal tracks. And look, we've heard the acoustic guitar melody to death on contemporary folk songs. It's good to spice it up, and I appreciate the production and layering and added effects. It, it, it brings out that magic that drew me to Lanker and Big Thief's music in the first place. And really to make folk music stand, stand out now, especially after decades of the genre producing music, you really have to capture an audience's ear with the personal stories, which Lanker does really well on this project. So yes, we have that intimate storytelling, we have some of Linker's beautiful poetry, and sometimes we have run-of-the-mill acoustic guitar melodies. And personally, I eat that shit up. I had a big smile on my face while listening to this album, although most of it was pretty sad. Um, I, I just enjoy my contemporary folk. But that's not to say that all of these songs are, are well done here. In fact, some songs are kind of cut off abruptly, like Half Return which has some of Lanker's best poetry on the album. And you can tell she pulls the words from a very personal place, and I enjoyed the soothing guitar melody. But after the third chorus, it just ends with no warning. All momentum grinds to a halt, and that leaves it being a very unsatisfying listen. And it makes me think that it was uh, an incomplete song. And then we get to My Angel, which is the last track on this album. After a moody and spacious wandering guitar melody and Linker's somber lyrics, it just ends almost mid-sentence too. It was, I was shocked that it ended like that. A, a really unsatisfying ending on first listen, but if you think of these two albums as two parts of one whole, then it's actually kind of a perfect segue into instruments. I was a bit more interested in songs, especially after listening to the singles and learning that instrumentals only had two songs, but this album was still a nice surprise. Music for Indigo was a long and floaty composition with Adrian's somber guitars appearing throughout it, and we also hear a bit of field recordings in the background, some ambiance and some talking in the background. Mostly Chimes is exactly what you would expect from the name. It's a piece composed of mostly chimes, and it might sound boring at first, but when you listen to it, you get lost in its ethereal and just tranquil atmosphere. Well, I think both albums, particularly songs, had their faults. I thought both of these projects were beautiful. It really shows what kind of artist Adrienne is, and it shows her 
technical songwriting prowess. And honestly, it just makes me more excited for more Big Thief and solo material. Moving on, the next LP I heard was Visions of Bodies Being Burned by Clipping. Now, this is the second installment in a horrorcore series that started last year with There Existed an Addiction to Blood. The songs on that album and this album were inspired by horror stories, mainly horror movies as Say the Name is based on Candyman. And while I loved that about last year's There Existed an Addiction to Blood, I was hoping there would be a bit more to this project than kind of like a rehash and you wouldn't get the typical disappointing second installment in a horror franchise. But luckily, David and company come up with something more for this record. I was shocked when the group explored tension and anxiety on a song like Check the Lock. The narrative of that song tells the story of a drug dealer and his anxieties as he's trying to evade the cops. And while it's not the best written song or the instrumental isn't that memorable, it was still a nice change of pace that kept this album sounding like the previous one. There are also songs here where David explores the past and the history of black people. Make Them Dead reminisces on the atrocities that black people have endured for years while also being wary of a hopeful future. I love the harsh noise and the eerie elongated vocal track that just says dead. It really adds a creepy, tension-filled atmosphere to a song with a very somber narrative. I talked about how much I loved the EVP recording and drill and bass break core of Pain Every Day, I think a week ago, but that song explores the history of lynching black people and it's songs like this one and make them dead that remind us of our horrific history and subjects like this along with David's sometimes haunting delivery is more terrifying than the songs that explore typical horror tropes. Not saying that the other songs are bad, they just don't compare to these songs. David's technical ability is still really strong as his raps are cold-blooded and aggressive. I really enjoy David's breakneck rapping and the harsh noise and something underneath. You know, it makes for a very blood-pumping listen especially when the song is about a zombie rising from the dead and, and, and the protagonist being chased by one. Clipping really explores new territory here, but is this album better than Addiction to Blood? And uh, I don't think so. Addiction was a surprise, and, and when this project was announced and it had a similar cover art and it was announced that it was the second installment of a horrorcore series, I kind of assumed that the project would sound similar to its 2019 counterpart, and a lot of the songs do have that familiar sound, but Visions keeps things fresh by adding a couple of surprises here and there. So I believe it stands on its own as it's as a strong sequel, but I, again, I don't think it's stronger than Addiction to Blood. Moving on, third LP I heard this week, Love is the King by Jeff Tweedy. Tweedy and Wilco have been hit or miss for me recently. I liked 2018's Warm, but wasn't too keen on last year's Ode to Joy. So I was interested to hear what Love is the King had to offer, especially since I liked some of the singles that were released. You know, Tweedy's usual brand of gentle and straightforward Americana and country acoustic guitar melodies are, are defined this album. 
You get songs about love and pain, life and death. In a way, the subject matter of this project reminds me of Adrian Linker's project. A lot of the music and lyrics have a similar meandering quality to them. And Tweedy gives these songs a personal touch as it seems like he is he's speaking from the heart. But what really stands out is that the lyrics seem less poetic and more generic than Adrian's project. Like in Bad Day Lately, there are four verses and it's just Tweedy saying, I've had a bad day, you know, being so far away from you hurts, I'll return home one day. And I feel like I've heard these lyrics before, you know, they're very cliched and other artists have said them before, obviously, but they've done this kind of song better. And this is where the album starts to lose me. There's no distinct characteristic about these lyrics. Anyone can write these songs. You know, I was hoping for a, ah, yes, this is a distinctly Jeff Tweedy song moment other than a, not a generic everything is pain song moment. My favorite songs end up being the singles, probably because I had more time with them and got used to them, but really they aren't any better than the rest of the songs here with generic lyrics and run-of-the-mill guitar melodies. Needless to say, I wasn't too impressed by this one. Hopefully, the next Wilco album or the next Tweety solo project surprises me. And lastly, I heard Song Machine Season 1 Strange Times by Gorillaz. Man, oh man, Gorillaz. I used to love this band growing up. I listened to a lot of Feel Good Inc. growing up, loved the Demon Days album, loved the Plastic Beach albums. As of recently, though, I haven't been that impressed with their output. Humans was not a great project, and while the Now Now was a bit better because I appreciate the low-key synth-pop approach of that project, but looking back at it, there was maybe one or two memorable tracks, and the rest were throwaways. And ever since, I've been skeptical of new material from the cartoon band. I don't really like Gorilla's brand of synth-pop and hip-hop fusion as much as I used to, and I don't know if it's because I'm now accustomed to their sound and style, and it doesn't impress me anymore, or that it's something that I've grown out of. But either way, the singles that kept coming out seemed to confirm either of these theories, as I wasn't impressed by them. So what do I think of the entire project? Well, most, if not all, of these songs rely on features and upbeat, catchy synth melodies to keep the listener's attention. And while that might work for fans of Gorillaz or fans of this project, I'm personally not sold on it, as I feel there is a lot of punch, but no substance. A lot of these lyrics come off as nonsensical, subjects vary and don't really connect with each other, and hooks are annoyingly repetitive, mainly the Lost Chord, Ares, and the Valley of the Pagans. That's not to say all the melodies are terrible. The funk, hip-hop, and synth fusion of Pac-Man were really great. I appreciated the erratic piano melody and Robert Smith's wild vocals on Strange Times. Loved the smooth production on Dead Butterflies, and my god, Desolate, while being very repetitive, both rhythmically and lyrically, it's gotta be my favorite song on the album for its just smoothless blend of synth-pop, psychedelia, and dance. And while I love these four tracks, I can't really vouch for the rest, as I thought they didn't work as well as, you know, these tracks. While it is a disjointed and derivative mess, it isn't as bad as Humans, which I feel like is now the benchmark for bad Gorillaz albums. Is, is it better or worse than Humans? But I'm mainly saying that because it doesn't feel as bloated as that album and I think wastes less of my time. 
And with that, that does it for this past week in music. I'm gonna take a little break. When we come back, I'm gonna talk about No Wave. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to Sound Encounters. Last week, I promised that I would talk about No Wave after talking about New Wave, kind of like a a sequel and a continuation of this discussion. So what is No Wave? No Wave is an underground and avant-garde music scene that emerged in New York City's Lower East Side sometime around 1978. It was a difficult and challenging place to live at the time. You know, there were soaring crime rates, garbage on the streets due to waste disposal taking a financial hit around that time. And the music reflects that particular time and environment as a lot of it is challenging and brutal. No waivers weren't interested in melody. Instead, they focused on the pure noise an electric guitar could make, creating racket that was abrasive, dissonant, and sometimes rhythmic. To match this atonalness, vocal delivery was very harsh, aggressive, misanthropic, and and that added to the sonic assault that were the instrumentals. And more often than not, lyrics were very nihilistic. Other bands combined No Wave with jazz and funk and dance. Because of its short lifespan, it saw a lot of change and experimentation. In a way, No Wave is a post-punk movement, much like New Wave, although No Wavers didn't want any association with New Wave. The genre gained attention after the release of the Brian Eno-produced No New York compilation, which featured four bands with four songs each. And you can't really talk about No Wave without bringing up No New York in conversation. But I am giving myself a challenge for this list. I am not putting No New York in my essential No Wave albums list. The importance of this record on this genre can't be understated. It's a phenomenal listen and, and I suggest you go out and listen to this album but like I said I kind of wanted to give myself a challenge and not use this album as part of my essentials list. Also a lot of the albums I will be talking about aren't actually albums they're really compilations live recordings. A lot of no waivers didn't record their music in studios and a lot of the times they would release live compilations and so I'm, I, I kind of am cheating with this as I'm using several compilation albums on this list. But make no mistake, the music really came out during the live performances. A lot of that energy of No Wave was defined by their live performances. So it's they're essential listens. I, I, I wouldn't recommend them if I didn't think they were essential listens. So without further ado, here are five essential No Wave albums to get you into the genre. At number one, I have the completed studio recordings, New York City, 1977 through 1978 by Mars. You know a band's music is going to be interesting once you've learned they all pretty much were untrained. The band formed in 1975, making them one of the first no-wave bands. You know, having the honor of being one of the first bands in a genre, they really set the standard for no-wave. Their music was characterized by freeform noise jams, unruly and abnormal guitar and drum playing, and guttural vocal delivery, not just with lyrics, but with other odd noises that they decided to keep in the, the song recording. This compilation is comprised of 
a double-sided single, the four songs featured in No New York, and an EP. The No New York songs range from strangely melodic to absolutely horrific. The opening riff of Helen Fordsdale is surprisingly melodic. Sounds like something that could have inspired Sonic Youth, actually. But that's derailed by strange guitar pinches, rumbling percussion, and Sumner Crane's crazed vocals. I honestly have no idea what she's saying. I can't make out any of the lyrics on this entire project, but I really love their manic and unintelligible vocals. It makes their music feel more genuine, and because of that, it's very unnerving. And speaking of unnerving, we have a song like Hair Waves, which features this moaning, strange guitar tuning, and neurotic drumming. This intense tribal percussion is actually a theme throughout the entire compilation as it's featured on Tunnel, playing alongside this anxiety-inducing anarchic guitar noise, as well as the singer roughly belting out these obscure lyrics. And uh, the, the, their vocals are just so gravelly, I, I felt like I needed to drink a glass of water after listening to this song. Things take a more sinister turn as the songs from the EP begin. If you thought the No New York songs were terrifying, they crank it up to 11 on this EP instruments are more primal sounding, notably the guitars, as they are so distorted it sounds nightmarish at this point. The band has resorted to just screeching and blowing raspberries into the mic. A personal highlight for me has to be Scorn, as the guitars are played in such a way that it creates this pounding metallic rhythm. The following songs on the EP devolve into unapologetic insanity, and if that doesn't define the no-wave genre, then I don't know what does. Listen to this album if you want pure agony and madness recorded on tape. Next, I have Live, 1977 through 1979, by Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. The front woman of this band, Lydia Lunch, was a prominent figure in the genre, primarily due to her semi-successful career, as well as the band's unrelenting live performances that lasted around 10 minutes each. Teenage Jesus and the Jerks formed after lunch met saxophonist James Chance at CBGB's. Although he wasn't around for too long, some of his saxophone playing is found in some of these live recordings. Lunch was inspired after seeing a live Mars performance, so we're already seeing No Waivers influence other No Waivers. This compilation compiles material from six different live performances, so we're going to get repeated songs. One of the most unique aspects of this band, and I guess Lydia Lunch's guitar playing, is her slide guitar technique, because she would take a glass bottle or even a knife, something metallic, to attack the guitar, and that results in agonizing guitar playing. Couple that with Lunch's nihilistic lyrics and her shout-chanting vocal delivery, and you have the very definition of oppressive music. This compilation begins with the explosive 1978 recording of Less of Me, Lunch's vicious shouting, the throbbing drum pattern, and the violent strumming, I guess striking would be the correct word, begin the song. No buildup just smacks you in the face with its abrasiveness. I view this song as sort of like a test. Like, if you didn't like that, you definitely won't like the rest of this incendiary album. My favorite songs on the compilation probably have to be the ones that focus more on the guitar and drum playing. And it's not because I dislike Lunch's vocals, but it's because I'm able to get a better picture of how this band sounds without Lunch's overpowering vocals. 
Orphans begins with a cacophonous guitar playing and an incessant drum banging for about half the song before lunch hops on the vocals. Towards the end of the song, the guitars are able to widely play again, and it's just this sickening and disarming assault on your ears. Freud and Flop is a, is a purely instrumental track, and it's a very Freverous song as the band aggressively smacks the drum kit and Lunch plays the guitar as recklessly as she can. It's a very claustrophobic and heart-pounding listen, and if I feel that way sitting at home on my computer, imagine what that audience was experiencing. When it comes to No Wave, live recordings are the way to go. Just the pure ferocity, the intensity of No Wave is just fully realized within these live recordings, especially when it comes to Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. At number three, I have Bye by James Chance and the Contortions, released in 1979. This band was a different flavor of No Wave, and that's primarily due to Chance and his saxophone playing. I briefly talked about him and his instrument of choice while I was talking about Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. He brought in freeform jazz and funk rhythms into the mix. The Contortions were another group featured on No New York, and they formed in 1977 with Chance as their leader. Their 1979 album does feature No Wave's typical dissonant guitars, but Chance's discordant saxophone playing takes center stage on most of these tracks. The band plays guitar racket with a pulsating rhythm on my infatuation, and if you're getting used to this kind of music, you might agree with me when I say it's pretty compelling but it's mostly buried underneath the harsh honking of the saxophone. And I guess there really is no other way to describe the saxophone playing other than it's honking. <laughs> it's not unlistenable, in fact. Chance provides a killer sax solo at the end of the song. Contour Yourself is another great example of wild free jazz sax playing and quirky accented guitars. But what I want to focus on with this song is Chance's sexually charged lyrics, which wasn't uncommon for No Wave. Sex was a very popular topic across No Wave music, in fact. But the way Chance talked about this subject is, is, is very abstract, as he talks from the viewpoint of pain and pleasure and losing control and forgetting about the future. The percussion provides for a danceable groove, and the sax, guitars, and vocals make for an odd but fun song. But looking at the lyrics makes me question what Chance is trying to deliver on this song. You know, add that in with hysterical and eccentric vocal delivery and you got an uneasy sounding song. There are other songs where the mood and message isn't as subtle. Anesthetic is a great chance for the band to flex their muscles as they create this creeping atonal guitar rhythm with added guitar pinches and some sax playing. Not a lot though. And Chance's jagged voice delivering these lyrics that talk about physical and emotional pain and, and being numb to it, hence the name anesthetic. There's even sound effects that sound like spurts of air, which could mimic the sound of anesthetic. Uh, honestly, I'm not really sure what they were going for with that. But here we have a brilliant album from a, a genius and disturbing mind. One of No Wave's most accessible listens, honestly, although that's not really saying much. But I think Chance and the band embracing jazz and funk and even some dance makes this easier to digest. In number four, I have The Ascension by Glenn Branca, released in 1981. Glenn Branca is a composer and guitarist known for his use of volume, repetition, droning, and alternative guitar tunings. Branca has a lot of work with modern classical music, but for this release, he wanted to explore the resonances generated when guitar strings tuned to the same note were playing at high volumes. He assembled a band of four electric guitarists, 
a bassist and a drummer. This band notably included Lee Ronaldo of Sonic Youth fame. And these compositions are pretty massive in scale and cold and intimidating in nature. Also, let me tell you, Branca knows how to build tension and keep it moving to create these suspenseful songs. The Spectacular Commodity is a fantastic piece that keeps building on that same atonal riff, and it's played in different octaves and changes throughout various tempos. It's incredible how Branca was able to play with these dissonant chords and make them sound rhythmic and terrifying at the same time. But the best is yet to come with this track, as the climax is played with these higher chords, and much like the album title suggests, they are ascending and it makes for such a satisfying payoff. If you're listening to this track and you're thinking that this is too much for me, just wait. Please wait. I promise the climax is worth it. Other tracks aren't as a warning, but are still essential no-wave pieces. Lesson number two gives us assaults of dissonant guitars. Structure is another tension-building track as it plays with repeated harmonics. The title track, however, is another soaring track that slowly builds over time. This time, Branca and company use overtones from guitar feedback, and it gradually crescendos, creating this transcendental quality to it. Wouldn't be surprised if this track, probably the entire album, honestly, inspired post-rock and that genre's use of crescendos and decrescendos, although the title track kind of abruptly ends. Even if there are post-rock elements to it, it is still an essential no-wave listen and God, you have to appreciate the, the, the fact that Bronco was able to build tension throughout all of these tracks. And honestly, I might consider this album a masterpiece. It's just a fantastic example of No Wave Done Right. And for my number five pick, I have Filth by Swans, released in 1983. Although they were formed after the No Wave movement, the band was heavily inspired by the sound. Their first full-length album also acts as one of my first exposures to the genre, so I kind of have a very a, a special connection to Filth. Early Swans was uncompromisingly ruthless and barbaric, and I think frontman Michael Jira wanted his music to come across that way because he was inspired by the, the already barbaric no-wave music and also because of his experience living in the Lower East Side of New York City. To match the anarchic music, the lyrics deal with violence, sex, power, and rage. For instance, take Power for Power as Jira talks about using sex for control and turning on your loved ones and, and holding on to power, keeping it for yourself. The outro kind of gives me goosebumps as he's singing Power for Power, Power for Power's sake. Jira aggressively growls and shouts out the lyrics, amplifying the raw and violent energy of the lyrics. I've used this word before when describing Teenage Jesus and the Jerks, but Swan's music is very uh, oppressive and brutal, and honestly, the, I, I, I struggle to find any other words to perfectly describe this music. Jira's unmatched raw energy, along with the anarchic instrumentation, makes Swan such a, an essential listen within the genre. The pummeling, repetitive rhythm of Blackout is hypnotic and terrifying, especially with Jira screaming, Don't talk until you're spoken to don't breathe, blackout, blackout. It, it made me feel unsafe the first time I heard this song. Right Wrong is a punishing listen as the guitars screech out. The drums sound like they're being brutally beaten with added cymbal crashes. It uses its cacophonous nature to its advantage as the tension from this song comes from its deliberate chaos and disorientation. 
while Jira and Swans went on to create other genres of music, they were formidable artists in the no-wave category, even though they weren't part of the initial no-wave scene. And with that, that concludes my list of essential no-wave albums. To recap, I have the complete studio recordings NYC 1977 through 1978 by Mars, Live 1977 through 1979 by Teenage Jesus and the Jerks, Bye by James Chance and the Contortions, The Ascension by Glenn Branca, and Filth by Swans. What did you think of this brutal and uncompromising genre? Are you a fan or possibly terrified? <laughs> Let me know. You can tell me your thoughts on Twitter and Instagram at Sound Encounters, or if you want to send in a voice message, you can do so if you click the podcast description. There's a link there that will take you to where you need to go. And your response might be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. But please let me know what you think, because I would love to continue this no-wave discussion. Well, that does it for this week of Sound Encounters. I hope you enjoyed my discussions on both no-wave and new-wave. I had a lot of fun researching and listening to the music. Maybe not with No Wave. I had to take a break multiple times while talking about No Wave just because it's just it's just brutal music. Um, hopefully uh, you guys like it as much as I do because, well, you know, yeah, it's still brutal, but I, I still enjoy the genre, especially The Ascension by Glenn Branca. That's a, that's a, whew, that's a fantastic album. But for next week, I might, I'm thinking of doing uh, possibly an artist's guide. Who knows? Let me switch it up. It's been a while. I feel like it's been a while since I've done an artist's guide, so it'll be nice to do another one. If you liked this podcast, if you liked this discussion, make sure to share it with your music lover fans so we can expand the Sound Encounters fam, family, fam. And if you yourself enjoyed this episode and this podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It, it, it helps me out. I greatly appreciate it. And I might give you a shout out on the next episode of Sound Encounters. So keep that in mind. Follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram at Sound Encounters. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and it could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Do you have a question or suggestion for me? Then visit the Twitter or Anchor page and submit your question. That too could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Thank you to Soundstripe for their wonderful selection of music, which I use today. And thank you for tuning in and listening and supporting my little show here. I'm Caesar. this has been Sound Encounters, and I'll see you next week.